You're listening to the Girls on the Grid podcast with Tanea and Priya. Welcome back to episode 57 of the Girls on the Grid podcast. My name is Tanea McLeod and this episode is with the one and only Rachel Eggleston. Now, if you haven't heard of Rachel Eggleston, it's because she likes to hide in the shadows. She is the mastermind alongside with her husband, Ben, behind Eggleston Motorsport, which is a four-time championship winning Super 2 team. Now, it took me a little bit of convincing to get Rage to come and chat, but this chat is split up into two parts and it's probably one of my favorite in-person interviews that uh, we've done yet. Rage opened up all about how they got started, how she got started in the sport, and what it takes to run a race team with multiple cars. She's an absolute trooper. Yeah, I, I don't know how she does it all, but it's very, very impressive, and I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Just one quick thing before we get started with part one of the Rachel Eggleston Girls on the Grid podcast. I want to give a shout out to my friends at Kenan Australia because over the Townsville Supercars weekend, they gave me the newest version of my current camera. So as a videographer and a photographer, you normally pick your path of which camera brand uh, you want to use based on a whole different variety of factors. And for me, I've always been Canon. I love the ergonomics, I love the system, I love the look of the cameras, I love the color science, all these things. And it's been really cool to be able to work with Canon Australia, have them trust me with a new camera. And yeah, so I got to use the Canon R6 Mark II across the Townsville weekend, and I had an absolute blast. The images that the images and the video content that I was able to capture was some of my favorite stuff I've ever shot. And that's saying a lot when I've been doing this content creation thing for you know seven or eight years now. So it's a real honor to be able to use their cameras. It's a real honor to be able to create with Canon cameras. And I just want to say a massive thank you to the entire team at Canon Australia. And I hope that I keep bringing you guys some really cool content of motorsport and supercars and all that fun stuff. And now I know why you guys are all here. It's to listen to Rachel Eggleston on the Girls on the Grid podcast. So let's roll that chat now. Rachel Eggleston, welcome to the Girls on the Grid podcast. Thank you for having me. We are sitting in Eggleston Motorsport HQ right now in the outer suburbs of Melbourne. There's a bit going on in here. There's a, there's a lot of trophies, there's a, even more model cars. Yep. That's, there's some bonnets on the wall. Talk to me about this little room that we're sitting in now. Remembering our guests can't see it, but what does it mean, the history that's built up in this place? I think it just shows we're very passionate racing people, big race fans. Um, ben, my husband, is a bit of a chassis nerd. Um, loves all the history side of the sport and so that's what I guess what the model cars represent you know we own a lot of the cars in these trophy cabinets um, we're big into the history side of the sport not just the current mm. side so we've got a, a few, lot of people wouldn't know that no they mm. wouldn't we kind of not that we intentionally keep it on the on the quiet but I think we're just the type of people that go about our business work hard head down bum up and we probably don't think enough about <clears throat> how interesting what we do is. We probably take it for granted a little bit. Um, but yeah, we, we do a lot more than just the motorsport that people would see. 
But it's just the norm for you guys. Like you just well, get up out of bed and you, you come and do race cars. Yeah, it is. And we've been doing it for a long time. Um, but I also always make sure we stop and appreciate what we've done, what we've achieved. And I think too, it's even more noticeable when we get you know, new crew members mm. and new people that come on board with the team and they kind of you know, mind blown by certain things. And we go, actually, you know what? This is pretty cool what we do. And you know, we've been lucky enough to do quite well at it, but it's a lot of hard work as everybody knows. I'm pretty mind blown. I'm, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a decent race fan these days and I'm pretty mind blown by just spinning around in my chair and looking at everything that's going on in here. Let's take it back to the start. Yep. Your earliest motorsport memory. That would probably be, my, my dad raced um, competitively since I was young. So we've always been around the track. Um, he had three girls, so we all, grew, we all grew up with it, loved going to the track. He was um, the Porsche Cup champion. He was you know, really successful at, at his racing. Um, and so that's, yeah, we, we just grew up at the track. We traveled a lot um, and loved it. Just the norm? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we'd get home from work, we'd have to help him load the trailer, load the truck, mm. get him going. He'd drive through the night to get the track, we'd meet him there. It was just kind of what we did and, and we, all, we all grew up loving it. I'm the only one that works in the sport, but um, as a family, yeah, we just, we just loved it. Looking back on it now, do you like realise how, how special it was to grow up that way? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably, the sport's probably changed a bit, I think, over the years when I look back at what we, how it was when we were younger. Um, but I guess from coming into it that way too, I appreciate it from two levels. Um, you know, some of the young guys that we have racing with us now don't understand why their families get so nervous or so scared when they're racing. I look at it, I know what that feels mm. like. I was a family member, it's bloody scary. Like when you, you know, your son or whomever is on the racetrack. So I remember from dad, you know, a couple of really big accidents. It's just, you know, that kind of, it's, it's a great and it's a fun sport, but you, they're the, the moments that you realise it's also a pretty dangerous sport at times. So for those listening, Martin Wagg, yes. your dad, yep. very successful race car driver yeah. in his time, and then went on to category ownership management, yep. and you went with him on that journey. Talk to me a little yeah. bit about that. So when he, w he was racing in the Porsche Cup, um, and when I was getting towards the end of um, my school journey, trying to work out what I wanted to do, I didn't really know, to be honest, what I wanted to do. Um, I ended up going to uni and doing a Bachelor of Communication, a major in PR, I think it was, and a journalism part of it as well. Um, and at that time I was working um, in a cafe, as many people do. And then the lady who was running the Porsche Cup back in those days, Kay Tankard, very, she did an amazing job. And I started working with her, knowing that she wanted to get out of the sport and finish up. Um, so I kind of took over her role in running the Porsche, the Porsche Cup at that stage. Um, and as time went on, you know, Carrera Cup came in around that time too. So the Porsche series was, was suffering then. Nations Cup and all the Pro Car Series was around. Um, at that time, Nations Cup was also probably suffering from the introduction of Carrera Cup. So their numbers were down. So we ended up getting together with, um, with a guy called uh, Terry Little, um, who he kind of picked up the pieces from Nations Cup and we had the Porsche side of things. We joined them together and that became the Australian GT Championship. So that was kind of the start of where that championship came from. Um, and I co-owned and ran that from, oh, now I've got to think back. 2005? Yeah, it was about then. 
done my research. There you go. <laughs> um, I think, yeah, I think we merged it maybe in 2004 for full season in 2005. And then, yeah, co-owned and ran that until we sold in 2011. 2011. Am is, I right? <laughs> yes. yes. 2011 yes. is there what I... <laughs> and so when we did that, I... Um, contracted to the new owners which was Tony Quinn at that point in time just a bit of a smooth transition you know handed over teach everybody who was then running it how to do it um, and that was kind of my end of my yeah category ownership and management side of things and then moved into team land I take it that you're a very organized person <laughs> yes <laughs> I find that people don't land themselves in organization and management roles without being organized I am. Your university degree. Yep. Were you still doing your category things while studying? Yeah. So I did, um, I did uni, which was classified as full time, but it wasn't full time contact no, hours. Never it never full-time. is. <laughs> so I did that and two jobs at the same time. So I worked in a cafe and I ran the Porsche series at the same time. So I just went seven days a week. That was me. I, I guess you know I was only young. What was I? 19, 18, 19, 20, doing that. Um, I probably took, I did take a very different path to most of my friends. So you leaving and me school, uh, yeah, I, I, they all went partying, spent all their money, drank, mm. all that kind of stuff. That just wasn't for me. I just not, that's just not how I enjoyed spending my time. So I just went, yeah, full on into working, studying. Um, and that's, yeah, that's kind of what happened there. And, and I am... Everybody who knows me will tell you I'm a massive control freak. <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I think it's a good thing and a bad thing. Um, but, yeah, organisation, like structure, processes, doing what we do and especially, you know, in Super 2 running a five-car team, like you can't get by doing that and having a Just lot of crew it. and a lot of drivers if you are not super mm. organised. And there has to be somebody that's that person that sets it all up make sure everybody adheres to the structures, that's me. Um, but, you know, we're also lucky that we have had a very um, stable group of crew that we've had, you know, majority of them have been with us since day one. Um, so, you know, everybody kind of knows how it works now. But yes, being, being organised for me is absolutely the key. At what point did you realise that your career was motorsport like was there that tipping point where you were like oh, I work in a cafe I just do this on the side to know I want a career in this forever um I think you know I was just a, I was a massive motorsport fan in the first place with dad's racing um I enjoyed you know event management type side of things and just organizing that kind of thing was just always what I enjoyed doing and then being exposed to the motorsport business side of things when I first came into the Porsche Cup when they needed somebody to help out there I think I just knew from there and and anyone I think in motorsport you would probably know the same thing once you get in you're just hooked like you can't and you look at yourself sometimes and go really like is this all worth it sometimes you know it's not a massive money-making business and all that kind of stuff but once you're in you just kind of can't get out. You love it. I don't want to, I'm not saying I want to get out, but I think it's just something like once it's in your blood, you, you're in. Definitely Isn't is. It? You can't leave yeah. even if you want to. No. <laughs> but like how lucky are we that our passion, like I grew up as a race fan as well. I grew up a fan of all things motorsport to then now, you know. So cool. Do it on my, do it 
for my my job yep. and you do the same thing for your job yeah it's so cool and you know we people look at what we do i get asked all the time you know whether it's wherever you go um and people say oh what do you do for work and you tell they kind of look at you like what like that's insane i've never heard of anybody that says yeah. that's their job before and i yeah and that's where i say we we probably take it for granted because we're in it and, and it's our job like like any, we look at other people's jobs and like mind blown of what they do. Um, I think it's just different to what a lot of people do and people don't expect me to say that that's what I do for a job. But um, yeah, it is, it's pretty cool. But you also can't discredit yourself because it's a whole lot of blood, sweat and tears just to get to a point where you can say that it is your job. Oh, absolutely. No, it, it is. And, um, you know, it takes a lot of money in, in <laughs> motorsport because you know we have to be the ones to our, our business model is not um really customer based so we own the race cars we own the trucks and all the equipment um so you know that's rachel and ben just working their butts off for years to be able to buy that stuff um and keep putting investing money back into our business you know we don't take a lot of holidays, we don't do a lot of things for ourselves, our, our house, we, we don't, you know, we don't, motorsport's our thing, our business is our thing and we, um, you know, we reinvest back into that to, to make it the best we can, to put, put the best cars on the track, to have the best equipment, to give, you know, our guys the best chance of success. Let's talk about Australian GT because where we're sitting now there's a, a lot of Australian GT championship <laughs> trophies and, and race winning trophies behind you. The Australian GT period between 2005 and 2011, yep. it got bought by Tony Quinn. So yep. obviously you guys, you, you, you did something right to yep. get it to a point where someone like a businessman of his you know, influence can come in and say, yeah, this is something I want to buy. Yep. Talk to me about growing that championship to that point. I guess it started, you know, it was difficult in the beginning because the numbers were a problem and the Carrera, when Carrera Cup came on the scene, that obviously changed the landscape a lot. Um, you know, your demographic in that series is pretty successful business people. Um, and then Carrera Cup diluted the market, took a lot of the customers. And so it was just finding a way of finding something different. Um, and I think, you know, I think we've seen over the years, even if you look at GT now, it goes in ebbs and flows. If, when GT's high, Carrera Cup's probably mm. a little bit down, and then it keeps going in swings and roundabouts. And that and that happened when we had it as well. But there's only so many in the market. You know, there's only so many people that have that much money to be able to go and race their race car. Absolutely, and and we followed. You know, getting it to a point, I think, where um, we started following more of the FIA GT3 model when that really became successful overseas. That made it not easier but you had more of a model to follow in terms of the vehicles and the specifications. I think, you know, after Nations Cup, probably the issues they had there probably became more like checkbook racing. So, whereas there wasn't set specs on the cars and that's really important in that kind of racing because, you know, you don't want it to be um, a contest about who's got the most money. That's, yeah. not, what it, that's not what it should be about. Um, and I think, yeah, so I think that was a big part of um, of, of building it um, and just some stability too. I think it went through some really rough times, but yeah, getting the stability back, having that, you know, that set, um, the FIA, FIA model was a, was a big part of it too. Fast, fast forwarding to 2023, how do you think GT4 fits into GT World Challenge, which 
It's, yep. an, it's now what its form is and, yep. and aligned with like SRO and things like that. Porsche Carrera Cup Pro-Am, and now we've got GT4. Does that further make it strenuous on all three categories, all fighting for the same market share? It's a hard one. I guess, I reckon GT as a category has always struggled with trying to work out its target audience. Are we, are they a category who um, are purely for the gentleman racer or, you know, when they would have some pros come in, it might upset people. So it's, it's kind of working out. Yeah, and, and the pool's only so big, but also I think there's people out there too, you know, like um, Mark Griffiths is a good example and Tony Quinn, people like that who have gone, you know what, the GT3 car is probably a bit too much for us now when they're getting to the, towards the mm, end of their sure. racing career and the GT4 is probably that step back where that finds its home. So I think, um, you know, there's not, to be honest, like when we were more involved in the from a GT point of view, the price point isn't significantly different. Um, so I don't think it really comes down to how much, mo you know what I mean, how yeah, much money sure. you have. I think it's more why are you... Why are you doing it and what do you want to get out of it? So the GT4 probably lends itself to people who are not wanting to go, you know, push as hard or do it as professionally. Not necessarily professionally, but... Um, Just less more horsepower. Of, yeah, correct. The cars, less, the cars more, go slower. More at a production car yeah. type level, albeit, you know, probably at the top end of that kind of mm. game. It's going to be interesting to see how that it is. all falls together, especially with the fact that GT World Challenge is, at this point in time, struggling. Yeah, it's, it's, as I said, it's a hard one. I found when we ran GT and even since that time, it just really does. It just goes up and down and mm. up and down. And also, I, from, I know from experience, that um, demographic or that, you know, that customer base is difficult from the fact that they are business, primarily business people. So their business will always take priority. So there'll be times where, you know what, business is tough or whatever, it's not the right look, I need to focus on my business, I'm not going racing. Or, you know, they might choose to go overseas for some, you know, for the European summer or whatever, but it's not a racing series like a Super 2 where your career hangs in the balance. So they can pick and choose what they want to do. So it is, I, we found um, when, when, we ha when we had it, and then I've seen it as it goes on, people will dip in and out of it. That's just kind of the nature and I don't see it changing. Now, forgive me, my LinkedIn research did not <laughs> go deep enough to find out when you married your husband, unfortunately. That's okay. So where does that, if that was on there, it'd be a bit weird. No, it wasn't on there. <laughs> but tell me where does meeting Ben, Ben Eggleston, yep. if people who don't know, where does that fall into the your timeline of, of your career? So, Ben and I met in 2010. This will test oh, you. We are good with dates. We have never remembered our wedding anniversary <laughs> once since the day we got married. We always get messages, happy wedding anniversary. We're like, oh, sh when was that? Whoops. That's terrible. <laughs> but we, that shows you that's not for us. We don't, that yeah. stuff doesn't really matter to us. But um, we met in 2010. So he was racing. So he's obviously been a racer from, from very young. He did Formula Ford. Then he moved into Super 2, then known as Konica or whatever it was back then. Um, he decided he wanted to do some GT racing. He bought an Aston Martin um, and I was running GT at the time. It was 20, I think it was 2010. Um, <laughs> that's terrible, isn't it? I met him, he just wanted some information on the series and started, yeah, asking some questions, no problem. Um, and then, yeah, and then he wanted to catch up at Bathurst. Oh, maybe we'll have breakfast, maybe we'll do this. I've got to ask you, I'm like, I'll just see you at the track, at the lounge, and just ask me your question. Anyway, that oh, was a bit of a point. Right. Yeah. 
He had he had plans. He had plans. That's from I answered his questions in five minutes, and he's like, "Shit, what else can I? What else can I, I get ask? This what else can I ask? How do I get this get girl to pay attention?" And to I me. didn't get it. I was too work focused. I was like mm, straight over the top of my head. So you worry about that in ten years. That's right. So yeah, we met. Yeah, it was 2010, um, and we got married in. 2015, oh, 2015, nothing. November 2015. I'm glad. We yep. did. Didn't have a honeymoon because we had to go to Eastern Creek the next weekend and try and win a championship, which we did. <laughs> this is awesome. Sad, isn't it? <laughs> Depends on who you're talking to. It's not sad. I for don't me. think Sydney I'll probably Motorsport be the Park's same. not a uh, honeymoon destination, but there oh, was Parramatta, things, you know. things to do. We had to, we had to keep going. I rate so, yeah. that. I rate that. <laughs> then, so where does Rachel Eggleston joining? Ben Eggleston, forming Eggleston, where does that all play that out? That was, so after we sold um, GT, um, Ben was kind of already doing, he's from New South Wales originally, so he'd only moved to Melbourne in 2010, 2010, yeah. Um, so he was just doing some car prep stuff. Um, he kind of originally started um, good mates with Terry Wahoon, based down in Karambara, he had some cars down there, just doing a bit of um, bit of his stuff down there and then um, we met and he ended up moving to Melbourne um, yeah he had some of his own cars that he was doing some bits and pieces but not at the level that we're that we are doing now um, and then we kind of just joined forces and thought right oh if we're really going to make you know make a thing of this um, what do we want <laughs> make to make a thing well, of this yeah. <laughs> just live our lives together <laughs> it's fun um, of a team you know yeah, do it, making a team. team perspective um, how, you know, what did we want that to look like and what did we, you know, how did we see that um, coming together? And that's when we formed our business together, I think it was at the end of 2012, um, and we bought our first 888 car um, and started together in Super 2 running one car to begin with. That only happened very briefly and then we moved to two cars. So two triple eight VEs, and we just thought at that time, obviously triple eight, that was the cars. Ben had experience with other teams, and we kind of looked from the outside and went, righto. We liked how they did business, um, and that's kind of where I would say our Super Two team, as such, kind of started. As I said, Ben Ben had done stuff in the category prior to that, but just probably at a, you know a different type of level, more customer based stuff. Um, but yeah, it would have been 2013 where we really kicked off what we're doing. Convenient that you had the same last name. Very. <laughs> convenient, right? Don't know hyphens, no, nothing, no fighting. Just well, convenient. look, you know what? Wags not doesn't really lend itself to a business name, with all due respect. Wag Motorsports. It's not. It's not ideal, is it? Wives and girlfriends. <laughs> that, <laughs> that damn acronym. It's terrible, isn't it? So bad. <laughs> Again, forgive me for my lack of research, but Eggleston didn't take long to be up the pointy end of, of the field. No, I think we we did things, we bought triple eight cars. So you started, there, there is a good foundation. Yeah, good platform. Yes, yes, you spend the money, but you get what you pay for. Mm. That's always our mentality. So start off with a good base. Um, and yeah, I think that's just, Obviously we had, in our first year, we had Dan Gaunt. He's the one we started with when we just had the one car. And then Jack Perkins came on when we had the second car. Um, and then um, from there, where well, we got a, well, we had a double podium at the Queensland Raceway, so that was a pretty cool moment. And um, 
Yeah, but that was also a learning time for us too, learning the cars. You know, we hadn't run AAA cars before, finding our feet a little bit, but, um, you know, that kick-started a really good relationship with Eight as well, which I feel like we've always had. Um, and then obviously into 14, which is when Paul Dumbrell came on and then we started building it up and, you know, Gary Jacobson, Ant Pedersen, and we really built up our, um, our strong model from there. That first race win, when did that come? You're really testing my memory now. <laughs> See, I should know all this stuff, but all the when was kind of that? I'll, I'll rephrase. <laughs> I'll rephrase. When was that moment of elation where you guys had that first success? Whether it was a win or a championship, what was that like? Well, I think the double podium that we had at Queensland Raceway was pretty cool in the first in the first year with Dan and Jack. Like that was um, that was a pretty cool moment. Um, I think any time you can see more than one of your and I still think about it to this day, hanging to see more than one. And when you get one person on the podium, it's unreal. But, yeah, to have two out of three spots filled by, by your guys is pretty cool. And that's that so, real team yeah, element. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's good. It's not only good for us, you know, Ben and I as team owners, to sit back and go, wow, okay, we're doing something right here. But your crew as well. You know, our crew are primarily um, contractors. We don't have a big staff. Uh, number at all compared to what people probably would think for a team of our size. Um, most of our guys are contractors so you know they have full-time jobs and they come on race weekends. They put a lot of time effort into um, what we do as well so it's super rewarding for them to to be able to experience that. What did those next few years follow? I started sort of really watching supercars specifically other than Bathurst you know young growing up always watching with your dad <laughs> But started really following Supercars Super 2 in 2013. Yep. That's when I, you know, went to my first event, was like, hang on a second, this is pretty cool. I remember sitting eating a big, like, big fairy floss, <laughs> like a massive fairy floss watching on a big screen and just like brain exploding, <laughs> like brain literally exploding. I mean, you're nine at this point. Yeah. I don't even know what the world was then. But that's when I really, like, clicked in and was like, yep, like, this is this it. This is what I want to do. This is it. Yep. Um, so obviously I started then watching and 2013, 2014, you guys were the dominant dominant yep. force for a really long time yep. with Paul Dumbrell driving the car. Yep. He was the man to beat yep. for a really long time. What was that period of, of racing like? Yeah, it was great. Like oh, the Triple Eight VE was a really, really cool car. Um, yeah. I think of that era, it was definitely the car to have. Um, having said that, yeah, having, having PD there was awesome. Um, our business model was, you know, set up, I guess, around having um, a leader slash mentor type person who the other guys could, could learn off. It accelerates their learning tenfold, um, as opposed to if you were going in a one-car team or if you were all rookies and you didn't have anyone to learn off. So that was a big part of what we wanted to do as well, um, was, was always have, no matter who it was, whether it was PD or anybody else, but always have... Um, a leader so that our younger guys um, always had something to look up to and that you know Gary Jacobson and Pedersen in that in that in that year when we first started I remember you know Gary coming straight in I think he did he done a little bit before he came to us but not much um, you know when he was in the top five straight away at Adelaide so it really was um, yeah it was a, it was a great it was a great period what about the end of of that period where Paul retired yep ultimately yep. but you know, during that phase, you guys still had a lot of success with your other cars and things yes. like that. But then Paul retired yep. and then it was kind of like, 
what next? Yeah, I think, and and we'd had Will Brown for t two years with PD as well. So, um, you know, Will had obviously, you know, learned a lot, had some great success in his own right. Um, and then, you know, our, our idea or what, how we envisaged was that, you know, Will would almost step into, not PD's shoes as such, but he would become more of the leader of the team and, and that kind of thing. Um, you know, PD finished obviously in, at the end of 18 and then we had 19 um, with Will and then obviously good old COVID came along <laughs> and kind of just, you know, blew everything up and made everybody not, not reevaluate, but you just couldn't really, had no continuity obviously after that. Obviously Brody came in, which was awesome. Um, Jack did a bit as well. So the next couple of years were pretty, well, pretty unstable for everybody really. Um, and then, you know, after that, I would say we probably really didn't have, you know, from 21, we really didn't have um, a, le a leader, if you like. Um, we had more rookie or younger type guys, which wasn't really, you know, that didn't really, f well, didn't fit our business model not having a leader, but it just, that was just the times that it mm. was. Um, Gotta take what you can get. <laughs> well, yeah, and it, it was, you know, everybody was kind of getting back on their feet post COVID and everything. So um, I think, um, you know, we're, we're getting back to that point where even though we look at who, you know, our, our driver lineup this year, we're super young driver lineup, like Cam Crick's we call him, the, he's the old guy at 25, <laughs> but they're a really young, they're a really young group, but um, still a lot of experience, whether that be, you know, Cooper from Carrera Cup, Kai obviously did Super 3 with us last year, so um, we're, we're in a good, we're in a, a really good stage at the moment. Now, everyone has their own COVID story. Everyone, yes. it affected everyone differently, and the, by the look on your face, it wasn't a fun time. <laughs> What was it, how did it disrupt you guys? What, you know, how did it blow everything up? Was there, could you lean well, on the restoration stuff? What yeah, did, it how was, did you guys get through? It was hard because it's just, in a business that has to travel to <coughs> do its business, mm. it made, obviously it made it impossible. So look, we were, yeah, we were, we were lucky in that we have, oh, we have, endless amounts of work to do down there that we'll, we will still be doing in 10 years time it's it's crazy the amount of projects we have to do but it all takes money no cash so, flow so from correct race so events. you've got no yep. no cash flow you can't really do a lot um so we think we we were still able to do the things that we could do um we had conveniently pre that time or just you know at the start of 2020 we had set up a parts um section on our website which wasn't COVID thing it was just we had already done it so you know we essentially had a little shop going which which was really quite good and at that time too there was a lot of people with a lot of time on their hands doing a lot of home projects so we mm. were able to sell a lot of parts so we just really just knuckled down and looked at the things that we could um, generate something out of just to keep ourselves going and um, to be honest just being able to just keep working and Keep your mind. Oh, I, off, I, I could not have off not, the doom. <laughs> not done anything. Like yeah. it just wouldn't have. We just are working people. It just wouldn't have, um, wouldn't have been right not to. So it was great to still be able to tick over and just, just keep going until you knew you could get back on track. I think I spent the first six months of COVID watching 19 seasons of Grey's Anatomy or whatever it was. 
I didn't get quite get to that point. <laughs> Not that depressed? No, no, I'm, no. I'm glad. I'm glad. It took a while to pull myself out of that hole. Oh, it was just terrible. It was, yeah, it was terrible. Terrible time. But now we look back and everyone's like, what was COVID? You know? Well, I think we look back and go, what, what on earth were we doing? Yes. Like, why did we do all this? It's just madness. But yeah. anyway, um, it showed how resilient everybody can be because we've kind of got through the other side and, and um, we probably learned to appreciate certain things more, I think, now than what we did beforehand. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times that you guys are working people, <laughs> time short, time poor. Oh. When did the idea of kids come into the mix? Well, <laughs> you're like, we've got no time. Let's just give ourselves less time. I was always one of those people where people would ask me that all the time. When are you going to, you know, when I was younger, before I met Ben, when are you going to have a boyfriend? When are you going to have kids? When are you going to do this? I'm like, oh, whatever. I don't need to worry one about day. that. I'm just one working. Day. I don't care about anything else. Yeah. Um, I think, and I actually always used to say, I never, when I was younger, never was one of those people that went, oh, I just want to be a mum or I just want to have children. I just, I was, I always thought that I would, but I never was like really hung up on yeah. it. Um, I think after you, you know, you've met someone that you want to spend the rest of your life with, you kind of think, well... What's next? Well, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Like, you're not going to be just the two of you. Maybe some people might want that to be the case. But we were, you know, we were always keen on having kids. Um, and, yeah, Maxie came along in the start of 2017. Um, he was born a week before... No, he was born on the Friday... We had Tasmania Super 2 around the following <laughs> week. The doctor said to me, righto, you're going to go over, you've gone over, we're going to have to induce you. And I said, well, it's going to have to happen on this day. He's like, what? Here's my very limited window I said, well, dates. because Ben's got to go to Tasmania. Oh, we've got to do it. And he's just like, okay. <laughs> so anyway, yes, he was born on the Friday. I think I got out of hospital on the Tuesday, I think. And Ben left on the Wednesday to go to Tasmania for our Super 2 round. Um, I was working from home, the baby on one side, on that side, <laughs> you know, bottles, doing all the, doing what you had to do. Um, and then it was a really tight turnaround between that and the next round it fell apart. So I was back at the track with a three week old baby. <laughs> Everyone's like, what are you doing? Um, oh, I don't know. I'd, I'd never missed a race ever uh, until... Until Tassie. Yeah. You probably had a reasonable I kind of had excuse. a good reason, but I yeah. still, it was really hard. Honestly, really hard. It's so much worse. I'm a very nervous. I get extremely nervous when we when we race. Um, to this day, I can't watch the start of the race. I won't watch it. I hide in a corner and I block my ears until everybody says, turns around. The boys are like, yeah, yeah, we're through the turn one. Everything's fine. You can turn around now. <laughs> I hate it, and I think it's coming from the whole part of when my dad raced and being that family member, and when he had bad accidents and just the commentary and the yelling and everything I just got a bit of a thing with it so PTSD yeah I really I think I really do so I get and and also knowing that there's five people out there driving half million dollar cars that we you know what I mean that you, you, you could see your cars just absolutely obliterated in the blink of an eye so that's kind of scary as well um yeah <laughs> so um I don't know I've lost my train of thought now what was That's I on okay. the kids part wasn't I yeah having I babies the, yes, yes introducing yes, yes. babies into this wild world yeah it's and then then obviously our second uh so Maxi came to the track a lot um we had help obviously at the track um and then yeah we had our second we had a daughter at the start of good old 2020 she was right on 
COVID, March 2020. So oh, timed it well. Oh yeah, perfect. That's when all the restrictions started coming in at the hospitals and all that stuff. So Did that was, work well with the the lack of it traveling? actually it actually did because I was kind of sitting there thinking, how am I going to do all this with two, two kids? kids? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was. I was starting Traveling to get a bit headspun about it yep. all. Um, anyway, yeah, it turned out. And, and to be honest, I would never have probably been able to spend as much time with her mm. when she was little had we have been doing a full season of racing. So you're the reason we had COVID. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Why not? You can blame me. Um, but it was, yeah, it was... It was probably, if you can say it was good timing for us in that regard, it probably was. Like the Simpsons, you guys predicted, <laughs> somehow deep subconsciously predicted that the world was going to shut down for two Worked years. Worked out well. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it certainly adds an extra element into um, how to juggle. If you thought you were busy beforehand trying to run a business, <laughs> try having children and then trying to do it and still try and get everything you did beforehand you still have to get done but you just don't have as much time and you get a lot more distraction but you teach yourself and learn how to compartmentalize what you do and better and more efficient ways to do it now i've lost my train of thought ah my next question i'm i'm winging this so hard that's fine but like you touched on there but managing kids and race cars not only do you manage your race team but you also now manage two two little kiddos how does that work schedules <laughs> traveling needing help having to get babysitters yeah it's a taking lot them to the track it's a lot of coordinate a lot of coordination Lucky you're organized. I, yeah that's the only way to be though otherwise it would be way too hard um we were lucky so so the first year that our son was born he traveled with us but we had somebody come with us who would look after him during the day and all that kind of stuff then um after the first year, you know, we work long hours at the racetrack. You don't know if you're going to get back. I'd always want to try and get back to bath him, give him his bottle, put him to bed. And it just got to a point where you're trying to do both, but you couldn't do either properly. So, um, you know, we've been lucky enough to have an awesome um, family friend who helps with the kids. And she kind of said, look, I'm happy to stay home at your house, keep him there. So he's in his own routine, his mm. own bed, all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's from a race meeting perspective. They ended up staying home after like the first year. Um, it's a bit wild when they can start to walk. Oh yeah, and it's just not being in a race. It's just not. There's not all their stuff. It's just. Mm. It's. It's it just makes it too hard. And also for us, you know, we're trying to do a job, and you can be at a racetrack for. You can be pulling an all nighter if you have to. If you've got to repair cars, it's just not. It just doesn't work with little kids. Mm. So, um, you know, other than that, obviously. You've got daycare and all that kind of stuff, but it's just yeah, it's a big, it's a big um, team effort, and it's coordinating and it's packing all their stuff, making sure you've left everything. Here's all their food. This is what they are. It's yeah. Thought having it's a hard. dog was hard. <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it's 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 hard work, but um, you know that's just what you got to do. I mean, there's a lot of other people that do the same thing as as, as what we do is have family and travel and try and run businesses. I guess that the hardest part for us is that. In most teams, I don't believe that there's both the parents that need to, like a lot of the time mm. it's just one parent travels, yep. whereas with us, our business relies on both Ben and I heavily, so we both always travel. So that's that's the problem, I guess, that there's no one that can stay home and look after the kids. So that's why we've just been, yeah, we've had to have it set up really well. Um, and as I said, lucky enough to have really good people around us to help out.
What an absolutely awesome episode. Thanks so much to Rachel for joining me. Now, her story's not over yet. We do pick up with a part two of this episode next week. We asked you guys on socials, did you prefer the you know, hour and 15 minute chats or do you prefer the chats that are cut into two parts? And everyone seemed to like the cut down chats. So that's what we're trying to do more of when we can get more time with our guests to really have the more in-depth chats with their stories. So it was an absolute pleasure to chat to Rachel. There's so much more of her story that we dive into, especially how to run a race team, what it's like to prepare for an event. When we recorded this, it was before the Townsville Supercars weekend. Rachel and her team at Eggleston Motorsport went on to have an absolutely incredible weekend in Townsville. They got a 1-2 on the Saturday in the Super 2 race with Kai Allen and Cam Crick. And then Cam and then Kai finished second in the race on Sunday to take the overall round win. So super successful weekend for them. And I hope you guys will join me for part two of the Rachel Eggleston chat next week. As always, a massive thank you for tuning in to the Girls on the Grid podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here listening. And we can't wait to bring you guys more chats with more incredible women working in the motorsport industry. Talk to you all soon. My name is Tanea McLeod, and this has been episode 57 of the Girls on the Grid podcast.